0: Hi, I. my name is Nathan Egger. Um, I was just asked to give a testimony. I'm a member here at MacAve and have been um, since it started. Um, I want to kind of read two verses during the course of this that I think sum up more or less my testimony. The first one is Matthew 13, verse 44, which reads, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Um, I um, I guess I became a Christian in the sense that I said the sinner's prayer at a very young age. I grew up in a Christian family, um, so maybe like five or six. Um, but early on, I got, what I thought of Christianity was mostly outward. Um, Outward emphasis on what you did or you didn't do, and what you said or you didn't say, um, and as I, you know, went through like elementary and middle school, I went to a Christian school and I kind of re-emphasized all those things without really getting at the heart. But it did expose me to the Bible, and I, you know, read verses like this verse that talks about, you know, acting out of joy, um, and I just didn't really see that around me, and I did, certainly didn't have it in my own life. I was Um, involved with sexual sin pretty early on. And I was extremely depressed. Um, Yeah, it was just a really dark time. Like, I don't even like to really go back and think about it that much. Um, But, yeah, it was very dark. And I I think it's because there was sin and because there wasn't really this this relationship with Christ. Um, And, you know, I pursued that... um, that I pursued an answer to my emptiness in lots of different things, and in academics, in friends, in sports. And I actually ended up being pretty good at a lot of those things. Um, But I thank God that he didn't provide any satisfaction in that. Uh, Yeah, so after, after pursuing those things and having success in them and still finding emptiness... I, you know, I was like, okay, there's these, I mean, there's these verses like Matthew thirteen forty four. There's promises throughout scripture um, that if you, you know, if you seek first the kingdom, is another verse, then he'll add all these things onto you. I didn't think this was going to be that hard. Um, but, so I was, I, at a point, I think in middle school, I just came to this, this point in life where I was like, all right, this other stuff isn't working. God, you promised this stuff. I'm going to take you at your word, and we're going to see where that goes. Um, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to my best not to hold anything back from you anymore. Um, and God was gracious. He pr- pretty soon after that got me into this group called Crossway. Um, it was a combination between a high school and a college ministry at, uh, my ch- at a church in East Lansing, and that was the first time where I saw people living out, like, this joy and really being excited to get into God's Word and being excited to get to know more about God. And not just because it was what you were supposed to do, but because they wanted to. And so through that ministry, I started digging into the Word more. Um, and the next verse I wanted to read. Laurie uh, kids me about abrupt transitions. That was a, another one for you, Lori. Um, so uh, the next verse I think that yeah, kind of follows my testimony is Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, or maybe 3. Uh, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I think the rest of my, from that time in middle school through high school till now, has just been kind of a refocusing process. Like, it's really easy to get distracted in this world by school or by... Um, expectations that you have or other people have for you. Um, but refocusing on Christ and refocusing on his His will that is revealed to us in Scripture. Um, and that's not, I mean, thats I'm kind of glossing over a lot of things in my life, but I think it all boils back to that kind of idea that we have to constantly be putting our eyes back on Christ. Um, and a cool, you know, a picture of what happens, I think, is... When we don't do that, is the, the story about you know Peter asking Christ to let him walk on water, and you know and he steps out of the boat and he's walking on water, it's crazy. But then he's like, "Whoa, there's waves out here. I'm, there's a storm. I forgot about that," and he starts to sink. Um, I think that's just a good visual image for me that we need to have our eyes on Christ and we need to take him at his word. Like when I mean, if he, like when he says hard things in Scripture. Like, if we say that we believe in him, we need to follow those things. And that's, scripture and Christ's word becomes our reality. And the the world we see around us is, is not real in the sense that it's not binding on our lives. Like, we have to listen to Christ before we listen to, you know, you need to go to college and get a degree. You need to have this kind of job. You need to do whatever. Um, so, yeah, I think for me the process of being willing to refocus on Christ and then taking him at his word. thats kind of sums up my testimony.
1: Sorry. Thank you, buddy. So a lot of times in Scripture you have, in John 11, you have uh, this historical narrative. And what that is doing, that's, that's talking about just a story that's happened in history. Uh, and what happens a lot of times is, is we, we, we do a little better at just straight doctrine, so of epistles and even doctrine in, in a different uh, gospels. But when we get to historical narratives, just stories, uh, we can either interpret them wrong or not know what to really do with them. But what I want to encourage us, and I'm, and I'm just giving away the stuff right now because it's not even about trying to set up things to make us look good. It's about us knowing truth, believing it, and walking the light of it. What 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 he what what Nate just shared there was a practical demonstration or I would say uh, uh, an unreality demonstration, uh, an invisible demonstration of the historical narrative of the resurrection. Uh, That's what we're going to even see in John 11. And we're going to see it retold or told fully through Christ's resurrection. And that is that what what he what God has done in his life is he's made him alive in the resurrection that he's risen him. And so when we hear even that even his story here and any one of your stories is that we um, I, I want us not to miss the story of God as we look at the uh, Lazarus in in chapter 11 and think, oh, that's just a cool thing that happened in history. But it's bigger than that. And and Jesus is doing something huge there. And I, I just I just pray that we have eyes to see family. Uh, so with that said, I just want us to understand that these are very, very well connected uh, because that's what God is doing is he's retelling the story of, of dead things becoming alive. And that's the of operation in in uh, when we think of redemptive history. With that said, family, we're gonna we got a lot of text to go through. We're gonna we're gonna be busting some stuff up. If you're new here at Macav, it's gonna probably make you jump out a window. If you're not new here, you know it's coming. So um, uh, so if you got pens, um, if you need pens or pencils, that'd be great. If you turn your 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 uh, your program on its back, there's notes you can jot down. If you need Bibles, I would really encourage you to have a Bible. You will not know what we're doing. Um. We need the word, and we got Bibles, so if you can raise your hand. We got homies who will bring Bibles down. Uh, with that said, we're really excited to be able to just understand a little more of what God has said in this story and how we can apply it to our life. With that said, let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump right into uh, John chapter 11, okay? Dear Jesus, thank you so much uh, for, uh, for Nate reminding us by your Holy Spirit uh, what, you're, what you're doing in us um, spiritually, Lord. And uh and that these practical demonstrations that we see in your scripture are um are just almost like eye candy of what you're doing in us. We just pray to Holy Spirit that we wouldn't miss it, uh that we wouldn't get used to it, but that we would rejoice in it. We love you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would guide this time. Bring bring glory to Jesus right now, Lord. Um we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're new, we uh a couple couple quick rules we have. Um, we it's totally cool to ask questions here. Uh, we that's that's not a faux pas. Our heart is really just trying to train us up to understand uh, who we're called to be in the Lord and yield into the Holy Spirit. So please feel free to do that. We just ask that your question would be gospel centered, that you really it'll, it can encourage uh, the people of God. Um, so just be thinking about that. But we really encourage that uh, we are in the book of John and we're in chapter 11 today. Um, so we're going to jump right in uh, with with the text here. We're going to start in verse one. Of chapter 11. Let me paint a quick picture real quick. We're getting, this is a, a beautiful time. I'm gonna bounce through some things, and this is just in case I need to write something. I usually, sometimes I have this thing up here and I don't even use it, but I just think it's cool to, to be able to write something if I'm, if I'm, to be freed up. So, um, now what's happening here is we're getting closer. The, the, if you guys are used to this whole, if you're, if you're, you said this whole death of Lazarus story, um, this whole, you've heard it, you know, even if you're not a believer right now, you've probably heard of this whole, like this guy, Jesus, raising this dude from the dead. Well, we're going to look at this historical narrative and see some um, really interesting things uh, that hopefully will speak to us in our journey, no matter if we're a believer or unbeliever, about what is true life and what does it mean. Um, what I want to do is I want us to understand something. Like when we talk about this this narrative here, is that as we're getting close to the to the grand the grand poobah, if you will, we're getting close to the reality of, of Jesus going through His Passion Week, right? And so, uh, in essence, that's that's where this is all coming from. Is that is that a stage is being set uh, for what God is going to ultimately do uh, to 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 fulfill and complete His reign over complete for on un- created and uncreated things? Okay, family. I'm going to start in verse 1 and move, and move down, and then I'll make a few comments uh, to hopefully uh, paint the picture of what's going on. Okay, it says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. Um, he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. Now, don't miss some things, okay? Notice notice if you're just reading the text, notice how, how John sees it fit to build an understanding of the people we're talking about. All right, don't miss this, because see, we read the Bible and then we can just sort of think as, we can just have these assumptions. But look what he does here. He starts by saying, now, a man named Lazarus was sick. OK, so we're going, cool. Lazarus is sick. Who's Lazarus? Right. Uh, but then he continues on and says, well, Lazarus, the guy who was sick, he was from Bethany. OK, so he's from Bethany. Oh, that's cool. The village of Mary and his sister Martha. I'm just doing this just sort of small. um a hermeneutics of how of how to interpret the passages, or how to interpret Scripture. Just being really keen in your observation, and and, and just and just reading. I always say, like, stare at the fishes. Just reading a text over and over again. Look what he says here. He continues on. He says, uh, so he's from he's from this village of Mary and Martha and her sister Martha. Okay, Mary and Martha. That's cool. But then he continues on. So we got Lazarus. He's from Bethany, uh, the village of Mary and Martha. Okay, so we know Mary and Martha are sisters. We continue on in verse two. This Mary, whose bro- whose brother Lazarus. Now lay sick. Oh, now we know it's not just Mary and Martha who are sisters, but also Mary and Martha is Lazarus' sister. Right. So we see it increasing. You see that. So now we know that they're actually family. So in the beginning, we just thought of some dude named Lazarus, but he's sort of painting a picture. And he continues on. Not only is Lazarus related to Mary and Martha, but then he says here. Uh, this Mary and Martha, this Mary, uh, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Oh, okay. So not only is it just a dude named Lazarus, not only is it Lazarus who's, uh, you know, from the same town of Mary and Martha. Oh, but Mary and Martha is related to Lazarus. Oh, and it's not just some, some girl named Mary and Martha, but this is the same Mary who actually wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. So we start to increase now. Now, what's, what's interesting is we haven't even got to that, to, um, to that historical narrative yet. That's in chapter 12. You mean, did, you, did you get that? See, don't assume that things are chronological just because you've read, you've, you've heard different passages and snippets. Ask yourself, man, we're talking about an, a, a historical account that if I'm reading John, I haven't read yet. So what you probably want to do then is to say, so where is it? And start researching the scriptures to see where it is. Well, it's in chapter 12, which is very interesting because... Let me just continue. I'll, I'll tell you about that sentence in a moment, but let me just continue on real quick. So now he says, uh, so this sister, these sisters sent word to Jesus, uh, Lord, the one you love is sick. OK, wow. I I I love the, the beauty of, of the canon, but also the, the mystery, because we we see some huge things here. We see first the author has freedom. All right. We see he's he's writing these stories with the whole story. OK, and that's why he can do that. That's why he can say, hey, this this lady by this time is going to probably be well known. Right. Of What she did. And so I'm going to mention her even in this passage. So people will have an account of like, oh, this is important because she she did this for Jesus. You follow me that she had the freedom to do that because well, he had the freedom to do that because he had the whole story. And so first we need to understand as the gospels are written is that these gospel writers are writing specifically with the purpose. All right. And his purpose, and I would say in John's purpose is really to see people get an understanding of faith. But what I also love that we see in the text here that's really clear is that our story about Jesus is so meager at best. And that's why we have to be extremely humble when we try to understand the historical accounts of Christ, because he tells us right here that that this guy, that Jesus loved this dude. All right. And we know, we haven't seen him talk at all about Lazarus. <laughs> And so we so that that should help us understand just by deduction that there's a lot of life that happened that we don't get in Scripture to have to have this relationship where she can run up to where they can run up to say, hey, send somebody to Jesus because his boy is sick. Right. So all I'm talking about there is just just progressive uh, uh, revelation that we get in Scripture. And I think it's really cool to see Jesus life really just showing me like, wow, Lord, I don't know man, I want to suck everything out that you tell me about you because there's even so much more I don't even know about your journey on, on earth. Um, but also to see this reality of, of the legend of Martha, I mean Mary, being mentioned uh, even here in the text before the story itself happens in the account of chapter 12. Good question. I mean, again, I'm, I mean, I'm, just from the sake of me reading, it just seems what, what the author is trying to show us is that there's a special close relationship that Jesus has with this guy, which is what, I, which is what I'm saying is that I think that's unbelievable that he has this close relationship uh, to the point where they send someone to Jesus, Jesus comes to see him, but yet we don't have much of the account in Scripture. Um, so, yeah, so I would just say uh, that there seems to be a special relationship uh, with with Jesus and his dude Lazarus, but also he's going to go down and say uh, in verse in verse uh, five, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Lazarus, Steve. You know what I want to actually disagree, and here's why no no, no now we, this now what we do this is what we do MacAv. don't run out of, don't run out of church, oh my goodness, they're disagreeing no, 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 this is what we do because all our hearts is that we want to know like what's true, and we and we, we we've all agreed to disagree is that is that what now what Steve is saying there is that as we move on, we see uh Jesus says, let me continue on the text, he says, when he heard this, Jesus said, "The sickness will not end in death, okay so uh which is very interesting by the way that he would go there because the guy just said he was sick. He brings up the whole the whole D word, right? Uh he goes on, he says, No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Okay. So I want to propose I'm, I'm gonna build a case and, and I, I know I get I got the mic and stuff so you don't got as much stuff. So I'm gonna try and you know, I love you to death. So um so 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 first uh we see that you see that he's that he's sick. And we see that, that God gives this kind of God talk of like being glorified. Now, he could just be saying, again, because the dude just came and told him that he's sick, he could just be saying he'll be glorified when he gets better. But I think we all, we can propose to say, I think it's, it's probably best that Jesus was talking from a perspective of he was dead. Now, now, now let me, not, not that he's going to die. I'm suggesting to you that when the guys got there, that Lazarus is already dead. Let me let me let me let me everybody looking at me weird. Don't beat me up. Let me let me just show you why I'm saying that, because usually what happens is people take the normal. The normal mode of operation is this. They, we see this whole piece where in verse six, Jesus says it says, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed uh, where he was two more days. And we think what happened there is that God. So Lazarus is sick. Jesus kicks it around for two more days. And, and two reasons why he could probably do this. Either if we stay with the account that he was alive and then his tardiness made him die um, and then couple that that. Let, let me just make the argument so I'm not So I'm making sense. So so his tardiness made him die. And then what continue to affirm that is the response of the sisters down the road is the sisters are like he wouldn't have died if you would have been here. So all that makes us leads us to believe that, man, they're saying we're mad at you, Jesus, or we're kind of sorry because he wouldn't have been dead. Um, I propose that that's not happening. What's happening here is uh, when he says he stayed there. So either he said, I'm staying here two more days, wait till he dies and really do a, a cool miracle. Right. That's one. Or he could be saying, you know, I was I was hanging out and then they said Lazarus is sick. And then all of a sudden he's like, he's dead. And he's kind of like, oh, man, I have to go up and get there and fix something I did wrong. So so either he's tardiness but on purpose, or he's tardy by accident. But I propose that neither, let me just show, let me show where I'm coming from, is that, not before, is that he says, uh, then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea's, Judea. Let me just, let me just do this right now, real quick. Um, we have some verses here, it says, his disciples reply, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus has been speaking of his death, but, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. A couple things we get here is we see the supernatural nature of God. We see an incommunicable attribute. God knows all things because no one ever told him that Lazarus was dead. OK, now the Bible says um, that he was dead when Jesus gets there. He. Oh, man. He's dead for four days. What kind of marker is this? I need an education. OK, here we go. Uh, He's dead for the Bible says he's dead four days. Right. And then I'm just doing some math here. So it says he's dead four days. It says that Jesus. I think you guys can see that, right? Thanks, buddy. So he's dead four days. It said Jesus spent two days chilling. Okay. now, um, when you get to the passage in. He he makes a little he makes a little statement saying, hey, we can't in verse nine through ten. got to read that. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the daylight? A man who walks by day would not stumble because he says we need to go. Right. They say, why do you want to go, Jesus? They're kind of scared. In verse eight, he says, well, we walk in the daytime. He sees by this world's light, the guy that walks in the day. Um, Verse 10. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles for he has no light. Okay. So the the point there is that in the first century where well whenever in the old in, in ancient near eastern times, is people did not travel by night because that's how you get robbed and stuff, okay? People traveled in the daytime. So in essence, you had 12 hours of travel. Okay? You had 12 hours to do what you was going to do. Now, if he now so we know that the you had the the, the people bring the message and I propose to you that it took at least a day for them to travel to get to Jesus. Here's why. Um if it was closer, Well, first of all, them asking, sending someone shows it wasn't just like, I'm busy cooking greens and you need to go and tell Jesus because I can't. But there was really, there must have been an issue of the longevity of the journey. And even I do have, I did cheat and I look at scholars and they show that truly it was probably at, at, at worst, I'm sorry, at best a day's journey to travel to get to Jesus. Okay, so you got one day to travel to get to Jesus and then Jesus takes a day to get to Lazarus. And Jesus kicked it for two days. When he gets there, he's dead four days. So I propose that probably, I'm pretty confident that probably what happened was he was sick. They sent the guys, and while the guys were on the journey, probably shortly after, Lazarus died. And that's why Jesus says that right in the beginning, that this isn't going to end in death, because he's probably dead then. So...
0: Yeah. So when Martha says in twenty one,
1: sort of feed of victory, you don't feel like she's feeling like hey, you could have made a second. You'll feel like I you know what, as I as I as I as, yeah, as I study the text, it seems that the issue isn't rebuke but regret. I don't you know, I think for for many years I thought I thought that mo that, that, that the that the ladies were mad at Jesus. But I don't think they were mad at Jesus. They were just regretful because they know Jesus can do all things, and they're just saying, "Man, I know something would have happened if you were here." And I think that's a very different picture of regret versus versus rebuke. It seems like we kind of got off in a tangent, but we're just trying to just, just sum up some things because it does it, it it changes your interpretive eye of the text a little bit, understanding actually what happened um, in 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 history. Um, so I went off, I went off on a tangent a little bit, but but. At least I don't have to say that again. So you know, you know, you you guys get this part. Okay, so now we move on, and in this in this narrative, uh, he says the sickness will not end in death, uh, but the son will be glorified. And then he tells, he says in verse seven, "Let us go back to Judea." Okay, and look at the response of these guys. But Rabbi, they said in verse eight, "A short while ago, the Jews just tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there." Um, And so. Judea obviously this is the point, this is where, you know, uh this the hometown of Jerusalem peace is where he's gonna get crucified. And so uh what's, I, I wanna propose that what's happening here is it's not just an issue about Lazarus, Lazarus and him and him dying and God doing something powerful. But it's almost Jesus is beelining himself uh to his appointed time of dying for the world. Okay, and that he's getting he's putting himself back into that arena because it's almost time. And it and, and was very it was very interesting. I love the response of and for the sake of me uh, taking so much time. Uh, what's funny about uh, his how he was resp- the response of of the disciples. I'm going to move down to verse 11 because I've already read verse uh, nine and 10. It says, after he had said this, uh, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus is falling asleep, but I'm going to I'm going to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he's asleep, he'll get better. Don't you love that? They're kinda like of like, because remember he said we're gonna to go to Judea. They kinda of scary about it, right? And so when he says this whole, oh, but he's asleep, we'll just go wake him up. He's like, No, 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 Jesus. If he's asleep, then he's gonna get better. We ain't gotta go. Take the beat down, you know. They're kinda of concerned about themselves, like, man, if we go last time in Judea, we all you got killed and we almost got killed. look, look, man, he's asleep, all right? You know, he must have took some night cool or something, he's gonna be alright. So so they, so they basically, you see their response is one of fear, right? Um, they, they, so they, they wanted to, because when you see in the scriptures, whenever you say sleep, uh, the meaning is death. Um, so, so that's their response. But then he continues on. It um, says, Jesus had been speaking of his death, Lazarus' death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Uh, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not uh, there so that you may believe but let us go to him. Uh, then Thomas, don't you love this? Look at Thomas. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. So, so here's Thomas. And if you know, you've already heard of doubting Thomas. So here's Thomas again, uh, doubting Thomas because Thomas was the one who was, who was like doubting if Jesus had really, uh, rose from the dead. He was always like the Debbie Downer of the group. And so even here, he's kind of down. He's like, Okay, we'll go with you, Jesus, so we can all die. You know, like that's how, that's his. So I just, I just love the characters. Uh, in scripture, that these aren't like made up characters, these are people, and that we are all, we all, you know, we all got like our issues and stuff, so I can just see the different personalities, and I just, that's just something I love. Um, so that was kind of for free. Verse uh, 17, he says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days, okay? Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Don't miss that family. Do you see? So there's, a, there's. So a, I'm trying to set the, the stage here. You got this guy. John paints a picture of him to help us understand his importance. He shows us that he's dead. Shows us that Jesus already knew it. Uh, he, he sort of brings us uh, to understanding, like that he's taking this road uh, to eventually uh, fulfilling all of redemptive history. And then he re-mentions it again. Like, if this is about just raising Lazarus from the dead, he continues to say this whole piece of, but now he's this far away from Jerusalem. You see that? Um, and I think and I, and I want to guarantee you that he says that uh, for, for a reason. Two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Mar- Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So the Jews are, are gathering together, sad because Lazarus is dead. Uh, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Uh, but Mary stayed at home. And I want, to, I want to talk about this in a moment, too. And I'm still trying to figure out what I like ask the Lord, like, what's going on here? Because I think it's very important that he doesn't get to the he doesn't get to the miracle. But he gives you this little this little snapshot of this interaction. And I think this is to your point, the this, this snapshot of this interaction uh, with with Mary and Martha and, and, and seeing uh, how does Jesus handle the grief, grief and pain. And it says in verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus. So she runs out. Right. Uh, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. Uh, But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Um, And then what Jesus says, Uh, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. You hear that uh, that terminology? Like, like just rise again. So he got this, and he continues on, he says, Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, I want us to notice something here. He um, talks about this term resurrection. Jesus comes back to her in verse 25 and says, Jesus said to her, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? To me, this is one of the most powerful uh, statements in all of scripture, because I love that Jesus provides a pile, this huge aspect of theology, and then he doesn't massage you. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe the re- what I'm telling you right now? And and it seems to me when I think of resurrection, I, and I, I don't want to go off in a super rabbit trail because I think the word resurrection just makes me want to <laughs> go so many places, but I want us to hear a few things, and that is, a lot of times we hear resurrection and we really think about um, facts, believing in the resurrection, right? Uh, even as we look at this text here. but 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 Jesus is saying, like, I'm not, I'm not giving you resurrection. It's not like a fact that I'm giving you that you need to, but I, but I am resurrection. That what, that what God is doing in the resurrection, when he gives us life, when, when he, he's saying basically we're dead, and what he does is gives us himself. And that resurrection is not, and I hope we get, a resurrection is not just a bunch of facts that we ascribe to, but it's a person that we give our life to. And that makes all the difference. We're not here just gaining information. We're not here ascribing to some, some good Christian tenets. But God is saying, no, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, and she gives us high view. Uh, it's not a belief. It's a person. And look, look, look what she says here in the scriptures. She continues on. She says, well, yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who has come into the world. Notice how big her, her view of God is. So she do you, do we say this like so, so? Who's God? Do we are we that like compacted with the understanding of who God is? Because that means something. When she gives, when she says that Jesus is the Christ, right? The the, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the one the one who whom whom all Jewish expectations were pointing toward, right? That's really good to say. What what, what did the Jews desi- Jews desire? They desired this reigning King who would set them free. So when she says that, when she says that. He is a Christ. She's saying you're the one that has been promised to come and set all of us free. You are the king. She continues on and says he's the son of God. Now, the son of God has great. I mean, there's just a myriad of ways that this is talked about in Scripture. But in particular, what I want us to get is understanding that she saw his relationship with God, the father, as something that could not uh, be mirrored. That it was that the, the, the closeness and the seriousness of that relationship was like any other relationship known to man. Now she probably didn't understand exactly. She probably didn't understand exactly what it meant, but she knew that when she said "son of God," that she was putting she was putting Jesus in a, in a reality of a relationship with the Father that she did not have. And then she and then she ends and says, "This Messiah, this King, who has this relationship with the Father, unlike any other created or uncreated being, has come into the world. That He is here." For us, I think kind of intense uh, uh, theology. That she would, that she would just spot that off so quick. After that, it says, and after she said this, she went back and caught her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. Uh, When the Jews had had been with Mary in the house comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. Said they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Look at verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been there, here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews uh, who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. I propose that the reason why they provide this little snapshot before the miracle is to show just his commitment in relationship and that he actually, I just think we see Jesus, and I don't, and I know I struggle with this. Do we see him as fully God and fully man? Do we see him as actually caring in a sense of like, like wow, man, like I, I'm sad for you that you're grieving? And I propose to you, I don't know necessarily if I'm, if I'm totally there thinking that. Um, that he was totally sad that Lazarus was dead, but as I would say, he was more sad that the people were grieving, because he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus. Um, and I can't, and I don't even want to go down that rabbit trail. But that's, but that's just my, as I as I look at the text, uh, it seems to me that that the, that the sadness is more about about him wanting to comfort his people, which I would say is actually a retelling of when, when, when it talks about in, in, in the Synoptic Gospels of Jesus, when he says, here, O Israel, I want to comfort my people like a hen. I think this is actually a practical demonstration of, of Jesus showing that desire to comfort uh, his people. Um, and, I, and I actually think in verse 36 and 37 are put there when he says, then Ju- the Jews said, see how he loved him? Uh, but, some, but some of them said, could not he open the eyes of the blind? Uh, have kept this man from dying, I think they kind of get it wrong i think they're they 're seeing and they 're focus on like his love for Lazarus, which is cool, but I wonder if it was about uh, him wanting to comfort the people but but i 'm going to continue on here and take us to some uh i would say sort of the apex of this text here. He continues on in verse thirty eight Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with the stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. So they walk and they, they go up to the stone. And he says, take away the stone. Take it away. He says, but Lord, said Martha, the sister, are you picturing this? The sister of the dead man, by this time, uh, there's a bad odor. Uh, for he has been there four days. Now, I'm not a doctor. We got some, some med students in the house. How long does it take to, for a body to start decomposing? Okay, I don't even know, but I just think, but, but, but I want us to hear that. Now, just think of this. Think of this, family. We think of a guy who's, we think of this, well, I think of this miracle as he's dead, kind of laying their eyes closed, but he's still kind of cool. But what's, what's beautiful about this miracle is he's decaying. That's also kind of crazy. He's dead. He's dead and dead. And I don't even know what that looked like when he when when God does this, like, did he just have like a little, you know, rash here or something? Or like, I don't even know, like, like, how like, like that he had to to raise him. I, you know, I wish I, I mean, I'm not a mess student for four days. Something started, you know, decaying in there and it probably wasn't probably had to do. God, like, did something and recreated in him. You gonna say somebody. You hear, so, he's a med student, we've got other ones in here. So, like, after a couple of hours, your, your blood is fully clotted, right? And your cells are breaking down. I mean, I just want to see, like, I mean, you know how you, you go and you see, like, you know, if uh, you, you see a decomposed body for a while, and, like, maybe you might see the cheekbone now, you know? I mean, he's rotting. I don't know where he's at in that process, but he's rotting. And I just want to, you know, I think we get a happy picture of a guy just kind of, like, just died, and then he comes over and gets him alive real quick. But but something had to happen. God did a miracle, like recreated uh this man, uh, which blows me away. Uh, he says, Take the stone away. He said, Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? I don't miss this here, family, because this is us. See what he does here? He they they knew he was they, they knew he was powerful, right? We ascribe to the power of God. And they knew he could do something, because he said, if you would have been here my brother wouldn't have died. But isn't it interesting they never considered that he could raise him from the dead? Isn't it interesting they never even considered that Jesus is here, that he can keep him from dying, but he can't take a dead man and raise him? Isn't it interesting, just, just out of ignorance, the, the limitations we put on God? And then what does she say after that? And oh yeah, Lord, I know yeah he'll ri- he'll rise at the resurrection, but no, he ain't gonna rise now. <laughs> That's kind of crazy, Jesus, right? That she was she that she they, re- they ascribed and understood who she who he is, and actually understood that he had the power and and that he knew something about this whole this this, this end of the age and this new age and the resurrection. But man, they never scratched your head to go if he is God, he can actually make him alive again, like right now. Oh yes, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I don't even know if she was questioning his power. I just think she was operating out of out of her paradigm. I just think she 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 had she wasn't even. I don't even think it was about her dog in Christ. I think she just didn't have the wherewithal. I think she was just ignorant. I think she. That our faith, we just, we put, we, we take, we say, God, here's what you can do even supernaturally. And we just, and we don't mean to be shortchanging God, but I think she just, just didn't know. Never thought of, never thought you rising from the dead, Jesus. You know, oh, okay, that's cool too. Kind of deal. And I just wonder in our own journey, when we talk about application, like, are we doing that in our journey at all? Are, are we, are we living out of ignorance? And out of our ignorance, do we like just totally say, like just by not saying what God can do or can't do, uh-huh I don't know if not in this sense. I think there have been uh people there there have been like people brought back, but I don't know in this in this precedent, so I'd be interested in, in researching that, but I do think there was an issue of like, man, we haven't, you know, we haven't seen that uh, kind of deal. Adrian... That's a good word. And thank you for that, because I I, I gloss over application for the sense of understanding what was going on there. Thank you. Yeah. And and that's that's where I'm going is that is that and I'm not and I'm not trying to shortchange his love for Lazarus. But I don't. But I think his love for Lazarus, not Lazarus being dead and his love for the people who are breaking, the hearts are breaking um, was what his. It was like, man, y'all. Yeah, man, I know it's hurting you like this kind of deal. And that as I think of a a practical application is to understand the love of God for his people is, is what is where I'm going. And that's why I even go back to the scripture where he talks about um, him like sh- ho- hovering over his his little his little ducklings, whatever, like chicks, like a hen is that God loves us deeply. And that it's amazing to me that his his pain was more of the 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 heart of his people and their and their and them experiencing brokenness, uh, than him knowing he was going to recreate this dude. Uh, and so I I just hope that we look at that and go, man. So what what does the love of God look like in my life? Do I experience and know the love of God like that, where where he he's in my struggle? He's not just going. He's not just here going. Believe verse twelve you know, but he's in my journey with me and he loves me and he wants me to to break free from them shackles and he's empowering me to do that, that he's cheering for us, that he wants us to fight the fight well and finish the race well. Do we do we do we see the father? Do we see our Lord like that? Do we see the love of God like that where he hurts with us? And it is chock full of, of text in scripture that makes that really clear.
0: Mm-hmm. Can I just sanctify in such a way that love like that, knowing that maybe I have that kind of
1: power to help somebody? You know?
0: Because you're in a position of power, I can help you. Mm-hmm. Where is your part of that?
1: Glorify yourself. And I want to get to that because I love what you said there, because then you go to the verse it actually speaks to that when even says here in verse forty one. He says, so they took away the stone Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this uh, for their benefit, for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. I love that. What we've seen, if I can scream out for the body here, what we've seen all through our scripture family is that God, that we see Jesus modeling that everything he does is to point back to the father. Right. That, that he's saying, I, even me praying right now is not even about, you know, me. I just want the people to understand that this is all for your glory, that they might believe you. And I thought to myself, like, wow, Lord, that's that's really cool. Theologically, um, do people say that about me? If if I'm called to retell your story and what you've done is you've modeled that you always point to the father. So people aren't going, oh, look how cool you are. Look what you did here. Oh, look what you did here. But you're always saying, No, oh, the father. The, Father. the question I had to ask myself practically is, so what do people say about you, Eric? What do people say about you, family? Do, is, 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 is our journey and our walks with the Lord really about people seeing how cool we are, what scriptures we know, how nice we are, how much we serve? Or are we consistently, continually retelling the story of Jesus as he's called us to as his missionaries to say, I, just like the Father, just like the Son, point back to the Holy Trinity, I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident uh, that he shares that, and he sort of winks at us and wants us to understand that whole retelling of the story, is that he wants us to go, I'm doing this so that you'll do it, so that you may believe. And what a great model when I tell you to do all things, you know, uh, teach all things that i taught you. Well, here we go. Humility 101 to your point. Um, as we continue on, he, he says this prayer, and then what he says, look what he says here, family. Verse 43, he says, Lazarus, come out in a loud voice. Dude comes out wrapped up, right? And I, was, I think that's unbelievable. Um, and then Jesus said to him, "Take off the grave clothes and let them go." So, so then the people come over and take off the clothes. Can you just imagine? Can you imagine this? I mean, go take yourself in the first century. I always tell our body, like, put your mind as a first-century Jew. You are standing there watching this dude roll back this this little rock. The stench of the of the, of death coming out. A body decomposed, decomposing right before you. He prays, says, come out. And the guy that y'all wrapped up walks out of the tomb. Can you imagine that? That's what happened in history. That's what happened says take take the clothes can you imagine being the one dude that they hey you Johnny and Fred come over here take the clothes off so you start unwrapping I'm like what the you know thinking you know can you imagine that I mean put yourself there this is not a comic book family this happened people like you and me unwrapped a dude who was dead in history check out the response Verse 45, therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had been, seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him, right? But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them that Jesus had, what he had done. So, wow, middle of the, of the, of the, of this huge miracle, you got people who saw the miracle and still didn't believe. You had two groups. Some people said, wow, I put my faith in you. And others said, no, man, I'm going to tell on you, right? So he told the Pharisees uh what, what Jesus had done. And then the chief priest, look, now, now, don't miss this, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna close in prayer. He says, the, 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 the Sanhedrin, they called the meeting, right? And they said, What are we accomplishing? Now don't miss that. I love that passage. What are we accomplishing? Almost like, man, we should have killed him a long time ago. What this dude, this dude's still doing miracles. He's still showing out Jerusalem. What, what is going on? Look what they say here. Look at the verse. He says. Uh, Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe on him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Now they expose themselves. See, it was always cloaked that what they were really trying to do was preserve the truth of Judaism. But what they really trying to preserve is their home and their power. If the Romans find out what this guy is doing, that he is truly the king, they're going to come in here and they're going to kill us. They're going to mess up our nation. We've got a nice little home right here in Master's house. And we don't want to wreck this at all. Isn't it amazing that they know he's done miracles, affirmed it, and yet they're willing to say, because I want power, because I want prestige, we got to get rid of him. And look what he says here in the verses here, family. Um, it says, then one of them named Caiaphas, who was, uh, in verse 49, the high priest that year, it says, spoke up, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. Ooh, I love that. What great irony, family. Don't you miss that irony there. He's right, kind of, right? What he's saying, it's cool if we just kill Jesus, because at least we'll be safe then. So I know it's wrong, we shouldn't murder, right? But hey, we got to sacrifice him for the sake of Jerusalem, for the sake of Israel. He's right. Because if Jesus doesn't die, Israel doesn't live. But they think they're saving Israel by killing Jesus so they can keep their power. But what they're doing is they're killing Jesus so that he can reign. And that we can reign with him. What irony. It's a prophetic word. Didn't even know it being used by Satan and didn't even know he was fulfilling prophecy when he said that. Continues on, says verse 51. He did not say this on his own, but as a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. Yeah, he will. Yeah, he will. And not only for that nation, you know, don't miss this, but also for the scattered children of God to bringing them them together and making them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. You hear that, family? And I always say this. People go, is that biblical? It's clearly biblical. One of the main reasons Jesus died, and that's why the biggest trick of one of the biggest tricks of the evil one as far as to be separated by ethnicity, by social classism, by intellectual capacity, is because God died, died on the cross and rose from the dead to make you and us one. So that the world go, wow, those people can't get along, those people can't get along. But look at these Christians. They got black folks and white folks, and there's, there's all these different Mexican Everybody is gathered together under one roof, praising Jesus, the lawyers and people who are homeless and who don't have jobs and who are struggling, and single moms. And that's why we can't be separating because, oh, you're moms, and I don't, I'm not a mom yet, so I can't identify with you. That's not biblical. Oh, you like skateboards and I like basketball, so you beat the skateboard people and I beat the basketball people. That's ridiculous. I don't, that's not biblical. God died on the cross to make us one, to make us one, so that all of our differences and all of and how we speak and how we act and all of our junk, we get together and say we're under the common purpose of Je- common purpose of Jesus. We love each other and we are committed to the mission. And then people go, Wow, that's supernatural. And Jesus said yes, and it points to the Father, just like Jesus, we telling his story, family. One of the main reasons, and that's why, that's why that's one of the biggest strongholds in our world, is all the separatism. Because Satan knows that's what God wants. He wants unity. That's why he died. It's one of the main reasons of redemptive history. Is to bring all his people under one roof and say, these are my people, I have kept my promise. That's what he wants to do. And that's why we gotta resist the urge. It's easier. Of course it is. We're in a sinful world. We're marred. It's easier to do the classism, to do the socialism stuff, to do the to do, you know what, you got money and I don't. To do you're white and I'm black. It's easy. It's hard to get together when you have someone in your Bible study who can read all this stuff and another guy who can't read. That's harder. When you got another person who has who's struggling, the struggling single mom trying to make it, and you got you and your little hubby and your kids and money and everything, and that's hard. That's hard on her part because she, she has to struggle with her identity. And it's hard on your part because you think you all that. That's harder. That's harder to have perspective in the midst of all that. Don't run from it, family. We're committed to that here. We're committed to true clarity gospel expression. Don't dare leave here because there's some people different than you. That's ridiculous. That's why you should be here. There's freedom in the gospel. Freedom in the gospel, my dear friends. And I just want to say this, and I'm just going to close up. Freedom in the gospel. You don't miss Don't miss what's happening here. That's what happens to us. You got these people, we think, oh, that's just weird. No. They, they saw Jesus for who he is. And many of us have seen the miracles of God. We've seen the wonders of the Lord in our life. And then what happens is something gets in the way. Something gets in the way from us really experiencing the freedom of the Lord. Theirs was money and power, prestige, being, you know, being the big dogs in their land. What's ours? Don't think because they're just, you know, the straight up not believe in Jesus, that we don't struggle with that as believers. Don't, don't believe that lie. What makes you say, okay, Jesus, I love you, but I really can't go there because and fill in the blank? See, I, for a while they were hiding behind what, what are we hiding behind? Right? We go, well, I, I can't I can't go to Matt group because of this, this, and this, and this. Wait a minute. Why can't you really go to Matt group? I, you know what? The shoe don't fit, don't wear. But some of it, the shoe fits perfectly. What, what gives us what gives us the excuse to not pursue Jesus radically? What makes you as college students, you know, there's Bible studies and opportunities for you to be plugging in and growing. What your, your homework? Really, really, really. Your homework. What gets in the way? So that's not really homework. That's that like you want to make good grades, so you can be, seem like you're just so smart, and you can get this good job. You see what it is? At the end of the day, it's still money and power. And having your identity in something else. What are we struggling with in our families? Is it kid worship? Are your kids your God? MACAF people? So you can't come and be plugging in and doing outreach because you got kids? Bring them! What gets in the way from us having the freedom of Jesus, the joy of the gospel, saying, Lord, you're worthy, and I'm going to take it at your your word, and I'm going to do and be who you call me to be. They were willing to have money and prestige than life. What a trick of the enemy. I pray we don't fall apart. Can you read the rest on your own? Um Substitutionary atonement, um, that's what God does. I just think there's nothing, there's nothing sexy here. What this whole passage is about is God sort of giving us the preamble to what He's about to do, and that is Him be very simple. He's about to say, Ma'am, sir, what I've done is I've died on the cross, and I rose from the dead, and I'm the King of the universe. And what I want to do is this is I want to say, I'll give you my life, I'll give you me, okay, and you die. Give me your sin. That's what he's done. And this is just a preamble. And what I do is I make, I make dead things live. And you, you, if, you, if you doubt me, look at this practical example. Look at this dude. Ch- chapter 12 is deep because you got Lazarus hanging out with Mary. Can you imagine? No matter where you are, you're still looking at Lazarus. That dude was dead like a week ago. <laughs> that had to change your life. A dead dude sitting in your living room. I long for us to see, understand this is not some lofty story, but this just happened, peeps, in your living room. So I just love it. It's a, it's a preamble to what's going to happen. Family, let's pray. Um, if, you can, if you can agree with me, um, I want to end in a time of worship. If we can um, grab the uh, parents, I want you to grab your kids afterwards, okay? We got them on lockdown. I'm just kidding. We got them upstairs. Please grab your kids. And uh, what we're going to do right now is have a time of tithe and offering. What I also want us to understand is that that substitutionary atonement is for all of us. When they say that, that's some big word. What that basically means is that God, what he's done is he said, I died to give you life. And if you give me your sin, I'll give you my life. Um, and so us taking Jesus, Jesus, you're my king, you're my Lord, is what the Lord has called us to. And that's what, that's what this passage is about, is that he did that miracle to show you that he has the power to do what he said he'll do. Okay, family? Um, so, if you, as you as sit here right now, if you're a believer, I pray you will rejoice in that reality that you've experienced that transformation, that, that we're walking in that, and it doesn't end in saying, Jesus, you're my king, but now we get to experience that as we're on mission. Uh, if you're an unbeliever right now, I pray that you would realize that there is no life outside of Jesus, that you are living what I would say the Bible teaches in a spiritual graveyard and although you live and breathe you're doing it in a graveyard of trespasses and sin but god is saying you don't have to stay there that i that what i've done at lazarus i want to do in you and that's why nate spoke that's why we wanted to have a testimony so we can see spiritually what god is doing as we even look historically in john chapter 12 be encouraged family and if you're an unbeliever i pray you would say jesus here's my life I have absolutely nothing to offer you, and what I want to do by faith is take your life. If you're a tithe, uh, we're gonna have tithing offerings right now. Uh, if you're a Macab member, you understand that this is about...